Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Damien, you're up this week. So what are you bringing to the table today? Yeah, we're back. We're back. Hey. Took a week off. I know. I, I, I appreciate the time off, mm-hmm. uh, but we're excited to be back. And today I've brought a current event to the table for us to talk about, uh, which I feel like we've been doing a little bit of here lately. Mm-hmm. Um, that current event is, of course, student debt and specifically the idea or notion of canceling student loan debt which um, unless you're living under a rock, I think it's been a, a hot topic issue in the news and in politics and sort of uh, just in our society as a whole. So, um, but I think it's, uh, in addition to sort of being heavily in the news, it's just been an issue that all of us in some way, shape or form, but certainly politicians and activists and, and organizers and, and like I said, all of us have really discussed and researched and debated for so many years now. And so I think, um, you know, I, I was excited to sort of bring it to the table for us to talk about. And I think there are, I think the idea of canceling student loan debt, I think there are lots of ways in which, um, it can be seen as a social justice issue. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I, I think we both really value and believe in the work that, um, lots of activists and organizers are doing around this issue, right? Particularly, I think about our the folks at the Debt Collective yeah. um, as, as one of many. And so, um, yeah, I, I found a few articles and resources for us to have this conversation. And I'm curious, because uh, I know you always do, and I love it, mm-hmm. uh, to hear what you found. Um, so one of the pieces that we read is a feature in The Atlantic by Jerus- Jerusalem Desmond. Demsus, I don't know why, uh, called Who Really Benefits from Student Loan Forgiveness? Uh, the second was a piece in the Boston Globe by Andre M. Perry and Carl Romer called It's Not Too Late for Biden to Become an Anti-Racist President. And the third piece was from The American Prospect by David Dayen called Republicans Admit Biden Can Cancel Student Debt. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this issue today with you um, because really student loan debt has impacted millions, millions, millions of, of Americans. And so I, um, I think it's important that we, we talk about it. So yeah. Where do you want to start my friend? Yeah. I think, uh, these three articles were a really good, um, start right. uh, and explored a few different perspectives, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I kind of wanted to start with was, um, some statistics. Oh, great. So educationdata.org released a report on student loan debt. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to sort of set some context for, for what we're talking about. Yeah, this is important. Yeah. Uh, the outstanding federal loan portfolio is $1.6 trillion. <sighs> um, you said millions of Americans are affected by this. 43.4 million borrowers have federal student loan debt. Uh, the average federal student loan debt balance is $37,113. Wow. Including private loan debt, the average balance may be as high as forty thousand nine hundred and four dollars, mm. which that's hard to to kind of tell because private loans, you know, they don't have to report it in the same way right. um, that we know that the federal government has 
loaned out money, right? Um, the average public university student borrows $30,030 and $30 to attain a bachelor's degree. That's a public school. Public. Public school, right? That's yeah. supposed to be invested in by our states um, to, a, to a high degree. Yeah. At the yeah. end of achieving a degree, you have... $30,000 in debt. Yeah. Not um, only that investment, but right, these institutions, public institutions are are um, designed to serve the community as well, right? Mm-hmm, to, serve mm-hmm. the, to serve the folks in their community as well. So there's an, a sort of another piece of that. But $30,000 and 30, $30,030. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking like this is a lot, um, right? Huge numbers in terms of the number of people who've borrowed, the total amount borrowed. Uh, the average amount, it's its all kind of, um, I don't know, it's a, immense. It's, yes. it's a lot. Uh, and a uh, quick quiz, how much student debt was there in 1960? I mean, there had to have been nowhere near this, right? So Correct, zero dollars. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, zero dollars. <laughs> um, because the government invested it in higher education. That's right. Um, and so yes. most places tuition was free. So yeah. tuition being free in a public institution is not a foreign uh, concept. Like that's something that not too long ago existed. Right. Um, there was $200 billion of student loan debt in the year 2000. Uh, wow. And then a trillion in 2012, and now here we are um, in the number that I have is from 2020. It's, it's at 1.7 trillion. Right. Um, wow. So that's that's the kind of like numbers we're talking about, and you can see and the skyrocket, the skyrocketing, yeah. and a lot of that is tied to um, funding decreasing over time. Right. And and so institutions then have to make up that expense through increasing tuition. Yes. Uh, so there's a lot that there's a lot to be said about those numbers being tied to right like a disinvestment of higher education, um, defunding higher education uh, in state budgets over a long period of time and therefore sort of shifting the the burden the, the public good, the investment mm-hmm. on that education to the individual right. who is then being educated yes. um, rather than sort of sharing that um, investment across a society. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Those are fascinating numbers, right? To think about zero dollars yeah. in the 60s to now where we are now to be. Uh, mm-hmm. 1.7 trillion. I mean, it's also it's 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 I can't even really fathom trillion like the notion of trillions of dollars yeah. um, i would have to think really hard to write that down write it like right, with, with the commas with the correct and zeros. number of zeros yeah, yeah. No. i have to think very hard about that absolutely and you talk about the idea of sort of the onus being transferred to the individual right and it's for mm-hmm. some folks if you're fortunate right like you have some of that is also supported by family but for a lot of folks that's the individual and you talk about you know the average public university student borrows thirty thousand dollars right and so we're also one of the other issues that I have with student loan debt is that we are asking 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds to make these kinds of decisions that impact them for a lifetime, right? That right. In, impact them for years to come. Um, and a lot of, I think a lot of young folks just, and, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that young folks when they, you know, come to college are adults, right? Yeah. 
I firmly believe that as a, as a university administrator and educator, right? Um, but I don't, I think there are so many ways in which you cannot fathom what that kind of money means at the moment, what that kind of money means over four, five, six years and, and in your career as a, as a college student. And oftentimes students are taking even more debt as they go, right? And yep. then my goodness, yeah, yeah. if you then go to some sort of graduate school or law school or a medical school, right? And the debt that you incur there mm-hmm. um, to, to, to then be, which I'm sure we'll talk about, to then be burdened with that debt for yeah. years to come. Well, and it's also interesting because there's, there are lots of other kinds of loans that I think that an 18 year old would not be able to get. Yes. But because it's tied to student loans, it like it's been made available to them, but then that comes with an increased cost in terms of the um, interest rates. Right. Because there's no quote unquote collateral that the bank could then collect if you default. So it's like, there's all of these other mechanisms that they've built into it to make it uh, like really, um, manipulative, yes, uh, in a, in a lot of ways. Absolutely, yeah. So I I appreciate you bringing those numbers and sort of setting the the stage for um, the conversation that we're going to have. You know, you talked about uh, the articles that we read, and and they were really good. Um, I think one of the things I wanted to sort of name out of the gate, um, as I was sort of fascinated by these three articles, um, I was also really fascinated by some tension that I felt Mm -hmm. as I read the articles, especially the piece from the Atlantic, um, and thinking about it in comparison to the other two articles. I don't know if you felt any of this too, but I think some of that tension, certainly as it, as it naturally happens, has to do with writing style and what an author decides to focus on, you yeah. know, when they're writing a piece like this, you know, certainly makes sense. But I think overall, as I think about what student loan debt means for folks and the impact right. that it has had, um, and I think about all the arguments, the research, the data, right, that clearly mm-hmm. shows the impact that student loan debt has had on all, all, no, all folks, but particularly poor folks, folks from marginalized communities, right? I felt like the piece in the Atlantic minimized that a bit yeah that makes sense right Mm -hmm. i think we have the evidence and we have to recognize that student loan debt has in fact impacted all racial groups um as well as folks along sort of the economic spectrum right in ways Mm -hmm. that have been incredibly troubling and damaging um for so many reasons right and so for me it was just it was a little bit problematic the way in which she talked about um i i I had a lot of tension as i read that piece um uh I struggled to get through it a bit. Um, and, and again, in comparison to some, those other two pieces and some of the, and many of the other things I've read about student loan debt, or, you know, we've considered from our friends at the debt collective. Right. But, yeah. um, I think the idea of this crushing student loan debt and the impact it has had across race lines, across the economic spectrum, right. Is, is problematic as I think about all the things we've talked about here on the podcast. Right. And, and sort of what we believe in when we talk about collective liberation. Right. Yeah, and um, I yeah I felt that tension too. I think that um, well, I think one of the things that's important to name is that we um, prepared for this prior to a couple things happening over the last couple of days. Ah, yeah, good. Um, so one of them was that the New York Times wrote an op-ed um, that basically. Um, to summarize it was basically like kind of canceling all student debt is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's what the title of it actually yep. is. And the debt collective wrote um, a response to that. They annotated the original op-ed on I think medium and included 
comments and facts about things that that were um, incorrect mm-hmm. uh, in that op-ed. The other thing that happened, and I think this is tied to the the piece you're talking about in the Atlantic, um, is that the NAACP um, came out in the last couple of days yes. and said that um, ten thousand dollars is not enough for Black folks. It will. It won't. Um, make the economic difference that it needs to At make, all. given the history of um, oppression um, that Black folks have faced, particularly in education spaces. Yes, um, right. And so, f- connecting that to and the uh, notion of the wealth gap, right? Like thinking about yes, yes. like the the wealth. It, it's not going to address a wealth gap issue at that level, um, and it's not going to do. It's not going to be uh, equitable in the same ways right. because um, black folks have more higher education debt, more student debt because they don't have access to wealth in the same ways because they haven't had access to um, wealth building programs that the United States has invested in, like the GI Bill mm. um, or, you know, going all the way back to um, the 1900 or 1800s, the um Homestead Act, oh, land, um, land ownership, and yeah, yeah. and so mm-hmm. there's all of these ways that Black people have not been able have been specifically um, excluded from mm-hmm. um, wealth building, and this is another way that that could be repeated. Absolutely, um, it's kind of the gist of their statement. Yeah, um, so I think it, it's in- important to sort of name that. Um, I just I just this. read it yes. a few minutes ago, yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't fresh. I don't have it uh, in front of me, but that's kind of paraphrasing it. Um, yeah, and you know I think one of the things that's important that the debt collective is doing is finding people's stories and amplifying it, and so yes. they will they'll retweet people um, a lot, and that creates opportunities for people to learn from one another and yeah. to see the different struggles that people are going through. Right. We've um, talked about that, right? The mm-hmm. power of people's real stories, right? And sort of yeah. highlighting sort of that humanity. So I, I, I love that. Did you pull some? Um, I have one. There were, um, there was a wave of them, I think like three or four months ago. Okay. Um, and it's, it's hard to go that far back um, <laughs> <In the archive. laughs> on, on Twitter. Yeah. So, um, and, and to find multiple, but one that they, tweeted about recently was actually from an article um, that they were also sharing. Um, so David Wise uh, is is a person who's 59 years old. Okay. Um, they originally borrowed $79,000 in student debt. Wow. Um, I don't know the full context of that, but that's yeah. the total amount of what, um, they, borrowed. Of what okay. they borrowed. They have paid over four decades $175,000. Wow. Um, and wow. the balance is still over two hundred thousand dollars. So for you know, if they if they paid that all off today, um, that's three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars plus some change, probably. Um, I don't mean to make light of it. Plus, yes. you know, plus some extra right. um, money there for originally a seventy nine thousand dollar loan. Yep. Um, My goodness. So that that's a lot to sort of wrap my mind around. Um, and it's a lot to think about, oh, like over the course of four decades, I've paid back $175,000 and I still have $200,000 to go. Like, I don't, I, you can't dig yourself out of that. No, 
That's the point at all. Right. You yeah. can't dig yourself out of it, which I think is the point of why, you know, folks like us, folks like the debt collective are, are calling for this cancellation because right. that to me, that makes no sense. When I look at those numbers that you just mentioned or think about mm -hmm. those numbers, 79,000, still owing 200,000, like none of that computes, none of that makes right. sense. Right. And so when we think about folks, folks' livelihoods, right. And their ability to do things, which is something I want to talk about, right. Like how can you, right, when mm -hmm. you're saddled with this debt and you're just throwing money down a hallway and it's yep. not making a dent, it's not doing anything? Yep. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, well, I appreciate the story. You said his name was David Wise. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I appreciate it. I'm glad he shared his story. I'm glad the Debt Collective picked it up. And uh, like you said, there's um, countless stories. Yep. You know, if you want to go to the Debt Collective's Twitter and, you know, you can do the the, the work of scrolling. Um there's lots of sort of ways in which they have shared folks' stories, mm -hmm. um, just like just like David's. Um, yeah. And I think it's a, a testament to what's happening here and why this is so important, right? Mm. Um, I think, um, you know, to that point is uh, for me, and this came up, I think, in part of what was talked about in both the Atlantic and the Boston Globe pieces. And, you know, it's obviously been a part of this whole conversation is this the compound the compounding impact of student loan debt on folks's ability to just live their lives to the fullest right mm -hmm. and like i think that's the piece that really just hits me in my soul right um you know we've um one of the things that gets mentioned a lot is the uh, this idea of the connection between student loan debt and home ownership Right. Right. And so the Boston Globe piece, I think, um, referenced how the HUD secretary, Marsha Fudge, um, talked about the fact that high amounts of student loan debt have made owning a home untenable for black people and that black people with a college degree have lower home ownership rates than white high school dropouts. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, we talk often about the impact of these sorts of social ills and injustices on black folks and and folks of marginalized identities. And you just mentioned a lot of the, a lot of the things that have happened throughout our history that have played a role in that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. And I, so I just can't to me, I can't think about I can't help but think about the tremendous good that canceling student let debt could do for folks, you know, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't think I don't think anyone is saying this. It wouldn't instantly cure everything. No. Um, right. But like it would, and it would certainly take time to make an impact, but I, th and I think there are also, and I, I can't remember which piece talked about it, but there are other issues that require policy intervention, right. To, to help make life better for folks. Right. Um, and we've talked often about the idea of abolition being one of those things that we should embrace to get folks truly healthy and safe. But like just the idea of, and the story you share, David's story, right? Like to see the potential good and the cancellation of student loan debt and the impact on something like home ownership, right? When we talk mm -hmm. about folks' ability to just live life to the fullest and do this, do this thing that you know we're all supposed to do, we're all supposed to grow up and get an education and get good jobs and uh, have families and buy homes, right? Like there are a lot of folks out there that can't afford to do that, and this is a, a significant reason why. Yeah, I mean, because you think about it, like, I don't know, I think about the numbers from David's story um, as um, a home loan. And, um, you know, over the course of, of your mortgage, you pay a lot in interest, right? Like mm -hmm. well over the amount you originally borrowed. Right. But you get something in return yeah. like there's, you know, like and I get that people 
got a degree, um, but there I don't there's a there's a disconnect in the in the uh, return um, on mm-hmm. on all of that. Yeah. So um, just thinking about that in terms of the, the home ownership piece. Absolutely. Um, well, the other piece about that, I love that you said that because right, Leah, you you talk about mortgages and what you get as a home, right? You know, for with student loan debt, I feel like you uh, are paying for this degree. And for many folks, they're paying for a degree to pursue something that they love, yeah. which may or may not actually be a uh, lucrative career, right? So then they go out into the world and aren't making enough money to sort of live a uh, <laughs> a grand life, right? Um, or a life they may have Im- envisioned for themselves. And on top of that, they're uh, crushed by student loan debt. Right. Yeah. 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 So there's also that piece that just kind of blows my mind too, that we talk about, mm-hmm. you know, pursue your dreams, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what you should do, right? Don't, don't work a dead end job that you hate every day. So go and do this thing that you love, but you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, well, and you know, uh, speaking of vicious cycles, <laughs> let's talk about these forgiveness programs. Oh. Um, so these were mentioned in, in a couple of the articles. Yeah, um, one is the income-driven repayment plan, uh, which allows for people to pay um, based on a portion of their income. And so you report, um, you know, your uh, annual income when you file your taxes to um, your service provider, and then they adjust how much you you owe. Um, on a monthly basis based on that income, right? right. Um, and so eventually that loan's supposed to be forgiven. Mm. Um, uh-huh. What's most, the catch? Most, most of them have not. Um, there it is. And then there's the public service loan forgiveness program. I think mm-hmm. 32 people have had their loans forgiven um, based on income-driven repayment, which has been in... Uh, around for at least 20 years, I think. 32 people. 32. Great. Um, And then there's the public service loan forgiveness program where you pay, again, based on your income for 120 payments. I think income driven is for 20 years. Okay. Uh, And so this is 10 years public service loan. um, So you have to work for um, a nonprofit or government agency or uh, educational institution. Um, And there are probably a few other yeah things as well but those are the big ones um you pay make 120 payments and then that gets forgiven what they don't tell you effectively in either of these programs are all of the hoops that you have to jump through um to qualify and they don't prompt you to jump through them either Mm -hmm. right so they don't would they yeah yeah they don't tell you or like they don't send you um oh hey it's time to update your um income right with us mm-hmm. um to verify that you you have to you have to do it yeah um you have to know that you have to, I was do like, it you have to remember to do it um, and when to do it and how to do it right mm-hmm. um versus everything that sort of colloquially colloquially said about it is particularly public service loan forgiveness um which is a program i'm participating in yeah is like oh you make your 120 payments and then you're you're good. Mm. Um, and it's like, well, um, you get <laughs> to that point and you're like, all right, check. Here's my employment ver- verification. Check all my stuff. Uh, and they're like, well, uh, you have 30 payments to qualify. And you're like, oh, but I've made a um, hundred. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. How does that work? Um, uh-huh. So, yeah. So while these things, I think they, they seem to make sense 
on the surface mm-hmm. of, um, you know, people paying a smaller amount than what they um, would repay in a standard kind of loan loan payment um, based on their income. They're, they're not working. No, um, at all. Because loan servicers are in charge of these processes. Um, and so the, these processes are not working effectively because loan servicers don't want to lose the loan get out right yeah. they want your money coming in every month they also want the contract from the government to pay them to service your loan yep so like you know we've taken this public service a public good and we've allowed banks to finance our investment um, and shift that investment responsibility to the individual and then that individual doesn't have the money so then they go to a bank or they go to an institution something to borrow that money and then they get milked for mm. ever um, about it. Uh, you know, when, as I mentioned before, not that long ago, tuition at public institutions across the country, not universally, no. but, but a lot of them were free. free. And so you would pay your other things that you have to pay, like food and, yeah. and housing and, and, and get yeah. your books, mm-hmm. like those kinds of things and, and not uh, necessarily a high bill for tuition. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. You said speaking of vicious cycle and you just walked us through a mm-hmm. cycle and mm-hmm. it was quite vicious. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, I, I'm glad that you talked about the forgiveness programs and I know in particular for, you know, you are, um, you know, you intimately know some of the details yeah. uh, of them. Right. And so it was talked about in, in, in these articles, you know, you mentioned uh, what the NAACP had to say about, you know, $10,000 worth of forgiveness versus $50,000 of forgiveness. Um, right. So that's another sort of piece of this. One of the mm-hmm. other things that was mentioned um, in these some of these some of these articles, but also what I've seen in other posts and infographics from our friends at the Debt Collective is um, this idea of an income cap, right, mm-hmm. on how much student loan debt is given to folks, right, right, and and when you really sort of think about it and dig into it, it's just ridiculous, right? So the idea is that the Department of Education would have to roll out a program to dole out certain amounts of relief to folks, right, or or cancel certain amounts of student loan debt based on folks's income. But the Department of Education doesn't have access to tax data, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they don't actually know how much folks are actually making. So limiting relief based on income will only just keep relief out of the hands of folks who really need it. Um, and so yeah. to me, like the idea of an income cap is something that has additionally been talked about. And it's just insanity right um so i think we need to think about that in the same way we think about abolition you know full stop or or bust give people the money that they need relieve the student debt don't look at the other factors it's not necessary um and and in this case right and for so much of this it's impacting you know folks who really were at a disadvantage to begin with um, and can and will forever be at a disadvantage uh with being saddled with this debt yeah i think um so one of the other things I wanted to to say about the public service loan forgiveness oh, yeah. and these programs um, that I forgot to mention is that um, when you privatize the management of these things and then those private companies go out of business, they don't oh. pass along their records to yeah. you um, and you don't know that you won't have access to those records. So currently I'm going through um, a process of trying to figure out uh, – and verify 
which months I paid because my original loan provider um, sold off my loans yeah. to another company uh, and then went out of business. Down, and so right? there's nothing, there's no, there's no history available other than I happened to not have deleted a bunch of email from 10 years ago. Yeah. So fortunately, I have like receipts yes. from those things in my, but it's not a full picture either. Like no. I have, um, right, like 12 or 13 out of 20, say. Um, so that's another piece of this puzzle is that these companies don't exist forever and then yep. they go out of business and they don't pass along your records and that, but you need those records, right? And banks only keep so many, so much in terms of digital records. Yeah. Um, so I can't go back further than seven years ago with right. my bank because they're like, we don't keep that. Well, or think um, about the, think about the case of, of what was his name? David, right? Yeah. Like he's been paying for 40, 40 years. years, right? And yeah. so of course, way back when, when David first opened a bank account, of course that bank, that bank probably doesn't even exist anymore, whatever right. bank he was using, because banks have turned over in 40 years, um, and changed many of them. Right. And they certainly don't have digital records, like you say. So mm -hmm. Like, what are people supposed to do? And in your case, you were fortunate enough to keep some emails, but not everyone does that. No, I clearly I didn't keep all of them. <laughs> I'm missing some. <laughs> so that's why. Um, but so that Man. this is a this is an, another loophole I think that people should be aware of is that um, you know the quote unquote the the servicer um, is counting payments, but they don't have a full accurate record of those payments yeah. because other when those loans pass along, they don't necessarily pass along the payment history. Yeah. Um, Which is so, just, you know, cruel. Yeah. Um, so um, back to back to your sort of point about uh, how much student loan debt is given to folks and, and the kind of means testing um, mm -hmm. ideas. Um, it, that's what reminded me of that too, is yeah. that like the department of education doesn't have access to tax, um, information, which if they did, then they would be able to update my work history, yes. right? Like <laughs> it would make this process, uh, maybe a little bit easier if I could say like, yeah, you can look at that stuff. Absolutely. Anyway. Um, you know, one of the things that people said as a criticism to student debt relief is that it would be like retroactive free college. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> which is an interesting thing to to use as a criticism. Right. Um, because really what that means um, is that it's actually retroactive means tested free college because wealthy people, affluent people didn't take out loans. How about it? Right. Yes. Um, and then the other piece that I think is so interesting that you kind of alluded to earlier is that there are, there's a there's a fact that statistically speaking, the people who have the highest amount of debt also have uh, advanced degrees. Yes. Right. So there's a correlation there. Mm -hmm. But that correlation doesn't then always connect to uh, being a higher income earner. Yes. Right. So that's a big assumption that I think people are making. And I've. I think that was in the Atlantic piece. I think so. Um, where it was like, these people are the highest earners. It's like, statistically speaking, yes, yes but, but that's not necessarily the case. If somebody went and they got a PhD in, um, I don't know, some kind of um, liberal art or like something, humanity. right? And yeah. humanities, mm -hmm. um, which is a valid, great thing to do. Absolutely. Um, and they can't get, a full-time job because those have declined over the decades. 
um, in the wake of education funding declining. Yeah. Uh, and so now they're working as an adjunct, getting paid two, three, maybe $5,000 per course that they teach. Right. That only adds up to $30,000, $40,000 a year, maybe. Yeah. So we're not talking like high income earners, but they have a PhD that maybe they had to fund fully through student loans, yeah. including a master's, maybe a master's, but also a bachelor's degree. Like that we're not, you know, that $10,000 isn't going to help them a ton. At all. Um, so, and 50,000 might not help them much either. No, honestly, absolutely. Right. Um, which is why the debt collective is pushing for full cancellation of all debt. Um, but yeah, I think it's so interesting that there is all this talk about means testing um, because it's going to leave out these people um, who need this. And the means test already exists. Yes. Wealthy people didn't take out loans. They wrote checks. Yep. And they're doing just fine. Yeah. yeah. And I think the other sort of piece that I think about and I think has been mentioned by the Debt Collective and others is just this idea of like people's um, criticisms around, well, I had to pay for college and I had to do it, you know, so. Yeah do it. And I'm just like, that is just not, <laughs> that's not a healthy mentality. That is not a, a mentality that, it, that speaks to this idea of us being in this together. Right. Right. And I, I, I hear that and I want to say like, all right, yeah. How much did you get paid when you were working for it? Mm-hmm. Um, right. What was, maybe you were working a minimum, minimum wage job. How much was tuition at wherever you were working? Yes. How many hours did you need to work to pay your tuition bill? Yes. How many hours does somebody need to work today mm-hmm. at minimum wage to pay their tuition bill? Yes. What are those number differences? Absolutely. Right? How much money was your state investing in your public education mm-hmm. when you did this and you did because you didn't do it alone. Uh-huh. You were really helped out a lot by tax dollars. Right. And that's not happening in the same way. No. And so this is. This is retroactive free college, and the only I'm getting into maybe some application and maybe some homework. This is this is a band aid, and I think the debt collective acknowledges that. Yes, the ultimate goal is that people get this because free college should be the way. The way, in the same way that our K through twelve system is free. Right, it's funded by tax dollars. Yes. Um, Right. And so this is a retroactive way to do that. And then we have to figure out moving forward, how do we continue? Continue and prevent others from falling into the same cycle. Right. Yeah. Right. And fund our education programs fully so that students can go get the education that they need or want Mm -hmm. to live the life that they would like to. Absolutely. Um, Because investing in our collective education is good for the country. It's good for our society. society. It's good for our. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that that argument, that criticism is just uh, pure nonsense when you factor in mm-hmm. all the things you talked about in, and inflation and cost of living and all of the things. Right. It, it just doesn't add up. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned application and homework. So let's shift and mm-hmm. talk about application. Um, you know, the we have been saying a lot of things here <laughs> throughout this whole episode and conversation that I think is the application, right? Um, and I, I just can't help but think about the fact that, you know, we're, the numbers that we're talking about, right? Like yeah. 
40-some million folks, right? Almost $2 trillion in student loan debt. $2 trillion. Yeah. Um, well, and I think we would be there if there hadn't been a pause in interest uh, with yes. the pandemic, yes. right? Um, yes. We we would be at probably $2 trillion if yeah. there had not been a pause in, in interest I accumulation. Think we, I think we absolutely yeah. would have, right? And so, you know, uh, so I, when I think about almost $2 trillion in student loan debt and this issue, I can't help but but think about application in this way, which is the importance of us talking about and understanding the impact of wealth and money and, and especially the role that wealth plays in our society. And then I think connected to that for me is the fact that we have so many people drowning in this debt and not being able to make ends meet. And I just think that's really shameful in our society like ours. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot <laughs> to feel shame about in a society like ours, but um, I, I think this, you know, adds to the list, right? So I think it's important that we continue to have these conversations and, and work to understand the real impact that this debt is having on folks, right? So that we can get to the place that we need to be. So I appreciate, again, you bringing David's story to the table um, and there are countless others, 40, 40 some million more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the uh, the other thing I'll say here is that student loan debt payments, as you mentioned, right, have been paused for some time, right? And so, yep. you know, and, and I think, when I think about that and I look around and I stop, I think, wow, the society hasn't collapsed. <laughs> like, what? Like, we're, everything's, we're, we're still going, all right? Like we have not collapsed. And so I, I don't understand and I'm sort of dumbfounded by the fact that like we can't take a look at this moment and what we have gone through collectively and where we are and the fact that these payments have been paused and think like, okay, like I think we can do this. I think we can eliminate it um, because it hasn't had the, the, the scary impact that maybe folks think it might. So I think it's sad to think about the fact that we're still, we still have to have these conversations, especially given what we've gone through with the pandemic and, and, and the, and the pause. Right. Yeah. I think um, that's all really important. My, my application is thinking about how we continue to critique uh, what's worthy of public investment and what's not right. Uh, mm-hmm. Last year, this year, Sometime recently, the Department of Defense got $13 billion more than they asked for. $13 billion more than they asked for. And why Why is that? Why? Um, why do we have money for more weapons when we could be investing in education um, or in a healthcare system that actually provides care for everybody? Why shouldn't we have a safety net in a country that literally forces people to work for a minimum wage that doesn't cover much of anything? There it is. Um, You know, I think when we start to ask those questions, um, which I think movements like this, um, organizations like the Debt Collective get us to start asking those questions. When we do that, we start to pull back and see the way that this economy works and has worked for the wealthy at the expense of the rest of us, for the people who have to work. Yes, and grind away. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's brilliant. I love that. Um, all right. Well, let's shift and talk about home. Talk about homework because you just mentioned, you know, organizations like the Debt Collective, and um, I, I think I would like to just spend some more time checking out some of the other organizations that are tackling this issue. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, you know, we've talked about the Debt Collective. I think we've. <laughs> 
retweeted, reposted their stuff. We we are we are huge fans. But um, two other organizations that I found out about as I was looking into all of this, um, I wanted to highlight here. The first is the Student Borrower Protection Center. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization that is working to eliminate student loan debt through advocacy work, policy making, um, and legal strategies. Um, and then the second organization is called the Student Debt Crisis Center, and they describe themselves as a people powered movement, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are committed to centering the needs and voices of actual borrowers and folks in debt. Um, And, you know, of course, then doing that work to to impact public policy around this issue of student debt cancellation. So, um, you know, I want to check out the great work that these two organizations are doing and um, and see where it might take me and and what I can what else I can learn about about this issue. Right. so yeah, I think that's sort of what I want to do. What about you, Aaron? Um, I'm not really sure what else I want to learn about student loan cancellation in particular. I think you pointed out a couple of great things I had not um, heard of yet. Um, I think one of the other things I'll mention real quick is that the Debt Collective um, has shifted to to working on student loan debt. Um, that's been a, a core piece of what they've done for a long time. Right. But they started with canceling people's medical debt yes. and buying that medical debt for pennies on the dollar yeah. uh, and then just canceling that. So we talked about that in a previous episode, we did. right? Yeah, yeah. That was, um, the Astra Taylor's. Yeah. Astra Taylor's book. Yeah. Uh, Remake the world, I think. Yeah. So, um, that's how the debt collective got started, um, was canceling people's medical debt, which is also, um, I think a core ethical moral issue, um, in the country. Um, but I, so I think, I mean, I'm pretty obviously solidly in favor of this, um, Oh, cancellation. I, I of couldn't student tell. Debt. <laughs> um, jokes, not, not, I mean, not just for my sake, um, but in the grand scheme of this, like, um, I think we, we need to really consider this, I, I, you know, you talk about those numbers that we talked about earlier. Um, I don't have that much debt left. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's going to positively impact me if and when that goes away and and the public service loan forgiveness kicks in. Um, But, you know, it's, we're not talking like a hundred thousand dollars. But I think it's important to talk about this. Like I've mentioned, um, talk about debt cancellation paired with a major increase in investment from state and federal dollars that would create avenues for people to obtain higher education for free. Yes. That's, um, that should yeah. be the goal. That's where right. we need to go. Yeah, absolutely. Was, and it's so connected to this. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Um, all right, my friend, you're up next time. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? Yeah. Um, so a lot's going on. Yes. Uh, in the country, in yeah. the world. Um, I'm bringing an article titled American Racism and the Buffalo Shooting uh, by Kianga Yamada Taylor. Mm. Um, this is the subtitle, um, or I guess the, I don't know, it's, it's the sentence right below the title. Yep. Um, on the webpage um, from The New Yorker, uh, the gunman seems motivated by a vision of history pushed by the right in which American racism never existed and black people are undeserving takers. Mm. Um, So I'll be bringing that. um, And I imagine we'll find a few other pieces here and there to talk about some of the other things that are related to this most recent white supremacist violent tragedy. Um, But uh, this is, you know, super uh, recent. Yes. Um, 
Kiangi Yamada Taylor wrote this um, and published it on Monday. Yeah. Um, nope. Sunday. Okay. Um, and so, um, yeah, um, that's that's what I'm bringing. All right. Well, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it. I think there uh, we've talked a lot here about the power of white supremacy and what it can do. Um, and mm-hmm. that was on full display this mm-hmm. past weekend in Buffalo and, of course, also in California, Orange County. Yeah, uh, and Dallas. Uh, and Dallas. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. There, there are countless examples. And so um, uh, I'm looking forward. I, I know we both really appreciate Kianga Yamada Taylor's work and her yeah. thinking and what she what she does. And so um, I'm looking forward to reading it and, mm-hmm. you know, we'll chat about it next week. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing it. Yeah. Um, all right. So with that, we want to thank you all for joining us today and for listening to Interdependent Study. Uh, you know what we want you to do, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, um, share our podcast with the people in your life. Follow us on social media, check us out on YouTube, and sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes, thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week.